Jason Beam Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Going pretty good. We've uh, one of the, one of the great players in NBA history. One of the most creative, interesting, fascinating, clever players. I think I think uh, if I were going to think of one term to describe this guy, I would think clever in terms of his playing style. Manu Ginobili has retired. So the San Antonio Spurs, as as we know them, are basically no more. I mean, obviously they still Popovich. Obviously they still have had you know an incredible run of success. But the great players that fueled that are all retired or have gone elsewhere. Yeah, it's it's this is going to be a tough off season here for Spurs fans. I mean, you got to think of of you know on, on its on its face initially, first time since 1997 that one of Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili have not been playing for the Spurs. I mean, just in 1997 for all those guys, and of course you know Parker and, and, and Ginobili coming a little bit uh, later in those years. But yeah, Parker uh, going to the the Hornets, which we don't like, and it's icky and it's weird, and and I don't want it. And then Ginobili now officially retiring, which does stink. But uh, as we've said, we we have promised when when a guy that's like a top 50 or or on the cusp of a top 50 retires, we are going to do one of these shows. And Manu is the guy who absolutely deserves. Uh, one of these shows, kind of a retrospective show on on his career, and it, it, it stinks that it it came this way. But I'm glad he can co- kind of go out on his own. Um, and it, it's it's been kind of interesting because I th- I feel like it's been about four years where everybody was like, oh yeah, that's it for Ginobili. Like that'll be it. I think it was what two years ago where we got a standing ovation after the playoffs, where everyone's like, well, this has got to be it, or maybe it was a year or so ago. But uh, yeah, he still kind of hung on, and then for whatever reason, this was the off season where he just said, you know what, nope, it's it, it's over. And and for the Spurs, I mean, no Kawhi. Um, as I said, no Parker, no Ginobili. I mean, this is a totally radically different Spurs team next year. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they go moving forward because they still have, you know, like good players. You know, they've all mm-hmm. average. They're going to be adding to Marco Rosen. You know, it'll, you know, it'll, and they still have Popovich, obviously, and, and the system I think will be relatively similar. But yeah, it is, it's going to, you know, it's not like a completely different, like, you know, slam dunk end of the year, not like the 98 to 99, you know, Bulls, for instance. I mean, it's not quite that dramatic, obviously, but it's still, yeah, it's going to be weird to not have any of those uh, guys out there. But, you know, Joan Blee was 40. He, um, you know, he, he was one of the few NBA players who is older than I am. So, uh, which is a, a dwindling list. As, I was going to uh, say, yeah, so, there's, there's a pretty fun thing. I don't know. Uh, they did it for uh, baseball. I know there's a, a baseball podcast I listen to, Effectively Wild, and they're kind of like a analytics led, uh, like it's kind of slanted a, a podcast. And they had a uh, one of their listeners built like a, a the script. So you go to this website, you enter your birth date, and it gives you the player that was like younger than you when he came into the league, and the player that's like older. So it's like you kind of get your idea of like, okay, well, like when I this guy was the first one that was younger than me that played in the majors, and then this guy is the first one that was older than me or whatever. I'd love to see that one for basketball because yeah, it's it's like for baseball. Unfortunately, like anybody who who's under like 40 Bartol Colon is, is basically their guy right no matter what but it, it's kind of fun to see that just the different ideas of like when, when guys come in and out and yeah it's it's definitely I mean I'm I'm 31 so it's I, I still have a little bit more to go laugh, until right? you do but yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. It, it's getting there it's dwindling man and, and right yeah it's it's gonna be uh that's gonna be a moment I don't know if I'm ready to handle when I'm no, like well, older yeah. than everybody I'm watching yeah. which is like oh, I don't know I'm 39 so it's coming soon I think it's basically <laughs> Jamal Crawford and um and Dirk and, um, and, Vince, and Vince Carter, yeah. I think, are the I think, three. Yeah. yeah, I think you're going to have two out of three gone right. after this year. And I'm not even this, sure. If, I, yeah, I Crawford's not signed yet, Crawford. right? It's close, but what's, I'm sorry. Uh, Crawford, is, is did he get signed yet uh, this offseason? I don't remember if he did. Uh, yeah, he's uh, Wolves, maybe? 
I thought he or was, was he but the then he was, but then I don't know what happened after that. So I'm, okay. I'm curious. He needs to stay in the league because I'm not ready for Jamal Crawford to leave. No, Jamal no, I, I want yeah, you know? no, for sure. And he's a dude yeah. that you feel like he could put up like nine points a game until he's like 45. Sure. So I don't want I don't yeah. want him to go. No, that would be no, really no. bad. We can't yeah. lose Jamal, Manu, Dirk, and Vince all in like a one year gap. No, that's we can't. No, that would that would not. be you know we've already <laughs> lost a lot of you know we've lost a Duncan and Garnett and Kobe and yeah, you know we've, no. we've, as we've expressed in podcasts before we've lost a lot of the. You know, these guys who are great for a long time are really good for a long time, and a lot of them are you basically spent their career in one team or have these, like, franchise cornerstones all leaving us, you know, within a kind of a three-year block on. You know, this is kind of, you know, a maybe not completely unprecedented, but a you know, close to unprecedented losing all of these great players in, you know, a relatively short amount of time in terms of retirement, thankfully not not dying. But, right, <laughs> but nevertheless, right. yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. Yeah, I mean, Manu... Um, I mean, as we alluded to already, I mean, obviously, the great creativity, the great craft, you know, his innovative innovative ball handling, his wonderful passing, you know, popularizing the Euro step, kind of helping to, you know, pave the way for some stylistic changes in the league. Um, I mean, obviously, the Euro step has been, you know, James Harden famously, you know, uses it as one of his main weapons. And um, I, I think a, you know, very innovative, influential player, but a player who was among the best per minute players in NBA history, but played, you know, a, you know, relatively few minutes. I mean, he averaged 25.4 in his career, you know, and I think had like one or two years where he averaged more than 30 minutes uh, a game. So, you know, his, his overall like career impact in terms of like, you know, being among the greatest players of all time is, you know, kind of, um, you know, lessened because of that. But, I think that just, you know, in, in terms of a per minute perspective, you know, he's he's among, you know, maybe the top five shooting guards of all time and, you know, among maybe in top 50 of all time, you know, looking at it that way. Yeah, it's really hard to judge in the sense that I, I think he's a guy that maybe over time, I, I, I do, you know, advanced stats really do like him a lot. And, and, and we'll talk about a lot of those here in a bit, but he might be a guy who if you just kind of go to, you know, back, the old term like the back of the baseball card stats, where you just kind of, you know, go on a basketball reference and that first table that comes up, you might not be wowed by it. You might not be wowed by the accomplishments he had. Like some other stuff that, that I gathered as we were doing research for this and, and I was going to write a piece for uh, uh, the step back and then I realized that like a tw- 10 people had written like way better, you know, mano pieces than I'll ever be able to write. So I said, forget it, I'm not going to do it because everybody did. I, I know Micah did a great one for uh, Fanside as well. They uh, republished the Zach Lowe one that he did a few years ago. Those ones are incredible. The, the, the stories about Manu are just not Next level. We'll get we'll get to some of these here in a little bit. But as I was doing research, I mean this this guy managed only never had a fifty plus point game. Rarely got thirty plus points. Only thirty two times in his career that he scored more than thirty. Uh, never once had a triple double, which I found fascinating. Uh, oh, yeah. Only twenty times out of a thousand and fifty seven career games did he have a double double. Only twenty times out of that. Like which he seems like he should always have double. You know what I mean? Like yeah, man, who is such a good passer, a good rebounder, a good scorer. Like you feel like he would, but it's just like those those kind of raw counting stats. He just doesn't have all that much and, and and it is fascinating to see that but you know advanced stats as i said do it really enjoy him but it might be a thing where those of us who were able to watch him and those of us who were able to know how impactful he was on the court and know that when he got into a game it was a difference maker the fact that he was able and 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 willing to sacrifice to be a six man how important that was for the spurs thing like everything about this i mean the spurs sort of mantra has been a lot of like you know self-sacrifice for the, the good of of the organization and the team or whatever and almost nobody exemplifies that more than manu who who 
by all accounts, should have been a starter. You know what I mean? Any other player that was as good as Manu Ginobili, as talented as Manu Ginobili, should have said, no, I'm not coming off the bench. Are you kidding? I'm starting. Like, give me that money. I'm starting. Yeah. Like, I want, I want 32 Carmelo, minutes. You know. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we see, you know, how many players have, have, have struggled with that. Allen Iverson is a famous example, too, where it's like, he could have, he, Allen Iverson, I, I fully believe, you know, could have played another five, six, seven years or whatever, had he just said, yeah, I'll come off the bench. I'll be a Jamal Crawford. We just talked about him. Jamal Crawford was a guy who just said, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, give me 20, you know, give me 20 minutes. Let me do what I want to do, and I'm good. I'm fine. Like, that's all I really want. And and so many players. Yeah, Carmelo's a great example, too, who who would have probably helped OKC coming off the bench, and, and that team probably would have been better with a Melo on the second unit, wasn't willing to do that because it's it, it's a sacrifice. It's it's weird. Some guys just aren't you know ready for it. Some guys aren't aren't mentally good for it, too. And, and I get it. Like, coming off the bench is, is kind of tough. Some guys are used to getting warmed up and, and stuff like that. For, but for Manu to just say, yeah, I don't care. I don't care about 50-plus point games. I don't care about triple doubles. I don't care about counting stats. I'll come in and do whatever I can in the minutes that I have. And, and, and that really was a testament. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit, you know, Come playoff time, when, when the minutes did ramp up, he did show himself to be an incredible player and show that he was able to get those big gaudy numbers or whatnot. So he's one that's just weird. I, I don't know, like in 20, 30 years, if people look back at Manu Ginobili, I don't know if they'll appreciate him more or they'll appreciate him less. And, and and I don't know, even in this moment right now, where we are. I think right now, as we're recording this and people are talking about him, I think we all do appreciate him because we watched him and, and, and we're aware of the impact he has. I'm just fascinated to see how it is in, in a few years or if people kind of look back and just go, eh, yeah, I mean, he's it fine for a bench guy or, you know, he's really, really good for a bench guy. I mean, but I, I don't know if people are going to think of him as highly as maybe we do right now. Yeah, and durability was kind of the issue for him a lot sure. of the time, and I think that was part of the reason, obviously, for the reduced minutes and you know for the, the six man role later in his career. Because the first five years he was the starter uh, most of the time. It was kind of after you know, two thousand eight, I think, or two thousand seven was kind of the transition year where he, uh, you know, they asked him to come off the bench, and that was kind of a big deal. We'll get into kind of the details about that later, but yeah, I mean, you could certainly make the case that he is among the, if not maybe the best six man of all time, uh, if you kind of look at the impact that he had when he played. Um, but he's definitely in, in that conversation for sure. But yeah, um, you know, in terms of other things on the uh, resume, he's only one of only two players to win a EuroLeague championship, an NBA championship, and a gold medal. The only other player who can say the same is Bill Bradley. So that's obviously a interesting company there and a steam company. And you know, in terms of the memory for Manu, I think that like. Yeah, I think he's definitely a player who benefits from, oh, I watched him and I saw, you know, what kind of incredible, you just incredibly how fun he was to watch and how incredibly great he was in those moments. I think that when there's more distance for that, it's, you know, it's going to be harder to appreciate that if you didn't see it and, and live in it. On the other hand, he's part of one of the, you know, greatest, it's kind of, again, dynasty sort of doesn't quite apply to the Spurs because of, you know, they were, their success was sustained for such a long period of time, but he's among, you know, a cornerstone of one of the greatest teams in NBA history and, you know, kind of how, you know, NBA history remembers that, that the Spurs era, um, I think we'll have to kind of, you know, contribute to how he's remembered as well. Yeah, and I think one thing that was always fascinating about Manu as well, and and with the Spurs is is you know the the initial story of the Spurs when when in the you know the early Duncan uh, years and the and the, and the late Robinson years is that they were you know boring. They were just you know just pass it into Duncan, let him work. Pass it into Robinson, let him work. That sort of stuff. And then slowly but surely, because of Parker, and and I think in, in in a large part because of Manu, they sort of evolved to a different sort of team. And and it's not that Tim Duncan wasn't still great. I mean, he was still obviously the the guy that kind of made everything work and and whatnot. But it was awesome to see as they. Got got a little bit later in, in, in those years. And like you said, the, the, the 2008 and on, and, and especially when they were able to get Kawhi and, 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 a, and a few more players on there, it seemed that the team kind of 
got a little bit more in the Manu mold. They became a fast-paced team. They became a very creative passing team. They became the, the antithesis of boring. You know, that, that, that whole thing where I would still have buddies who were like, ah, I don't like the Spurs. They're boring. And I'm like, well, you, you're not watching the Spurs, man. Like, there's nothing boring about them. They play, like, they're just, there's 15 passes every possession. They're sprinting down the court. Like, they became kind of the proto-warriors in a sense. I think one of the issues that we, we a lot of times do is we think of, the, oh, the seven seconds or less Suns, and then they just directly evolve into the Warriors. And it's like, well, there was a big team there that was super successful doing a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, they didn't have, like, one of the greatest shooters of all time in terms of Steph Curry or whatnot, but the Spurs were doing a lot of the concepts that the Warriors have made and really broken the NBA with in some ways. So it, it, it's fascinating that, and I think a lot of that was them sort of becoming the Manu mold because we knew that Manu was that sort of guy. If you watch Argentina, that's how they played. When they were in their gold medal, that was what they played, and it was cool to see them sort of take on his persona a little bit and you saw him get a little better as those years went on too not to say that he wasn't great when he first uh came in there but as they were able to be a little bit more free-flowing a little bit more fun a little bit more uh you, you know fast-paced then you start to see Manu really start to show himself and really look like a, a, a much more complete player and a, a much bigger part of that team as well so I always love that transition uh between them and I think one of the things too um with the Manu story is is you know the the circumstance of how he comes to the Spurs too, and I think that always sort of builds up the narrative a little bit more, and it helps build up his story a little bit because this is a guy who you know famously R.C. Buford, the, the Spurs general manager, he goes on a scouting trip in 1997. I forget where I think they were in Australia, and he goes to scout just a, a bunch of European players and, and overseas players. And Manu is just a guy who was not even on his radar whatsoever. He was there only because other players backed out. They had scheduling conflicts. And they're just like, ah, we'll call this man a Ginobili guy or whatever. You know, he had barely been playing. He was not even that big of a deal. And Buford just was like, all right, cool. This guy's got some chops. He's pretty good. But even after they they drafted him, it wasn't meant to be like, all right, let's get this Ginobili guy and see what happens. You know, I can't wait to bring him on board or whatever. They had just won the championship, obviously, in 1999. They wanted to bring back most of the roster. Their salary cap was right up against the, the, the luxury tax. They wanted to get a guy that they knew had no chance to make the NBA and was not going to come. So they did kind of what we call today the Euro stash. They drafted just a random European guy and said, ah, you know what? You know, this is a guy that we think has talent, but we're in no way ready to bring him on board, and we don't want him to come on board. So they draft him, and he goes away. <laughs> he does not come until 2002, and he comes, and it's like, oh, he's pretty good, and so good, in fact, that we just won the championship. You know what I mean? Like, in his rookie year, he's immediately good, he's immediately winning the championship, but he's a huge part of that uh, right away. So, I mean, I think that speaks a little bit to uh, just how incredible uh, he was, and, and the journey as well, where it's really not a player that, and, 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 and I guess it tells a good narrative of this, like, Eurostash player gone right, when more times than not, they're just guys that are drafted to avoid, you know, paying for rookies and whatnot. Sure. And, and of course, Manu from Argentina, but was playing in Italy at the time. So yes, the, correct, uh, yeah. the, the, the Eurostash still applies to, uh, you know, the, the, the term is not entirely inaccurate. Right, right. Yeah, people just yes. say Eurostash for, like, I, overseas right. player. Yeah, I, right. I, I, I didn't <laughs> want uh, anyone to uh, South think American that we didn't stash, realize yeah. that, right, that Argentina <laughs> was South America. But, right. um, yeah, so he didn't really come into the league until 2002. Uh, of course, the Spurs were already, you know, an elite team at that point, you know, battling with the um, battling with Lakers over, you know, in, in the Western Conference over championships, having, you know, some great playoff series uh, there. Of course, the Lakers were, you know, on, on top of that after 2000, winning their three championships in a row. But, you know, um, Ginobili was really helpful in uh, the Spurs being able to, you know, win that 2003 championship in his rookie season. And, you know, it was obviously coming, it was coming off the bench and, was in limited minutes, but he was able to, you know, kind of boost that bench enough to be able to overcome the Spurs. And, uh, you know, in David Robinson's 
uh, last year, you know, send him out with the championship. So, uh, you know, had the had the big impact uh, there. I, I think in, it, it was either sometime that season or there was some time in the early in the next season where he and Kobe had a really, um, you know, excellent scoring duel to kind of, you know, show that like, you know, be like, oh, you know, this guy is really special. This guy's really, you know, interesting and creative. And, um, you know, he's going to be, you know, more than just a bench, a really good bench player for the Spurs. Yeah, and it came in, in, in small, you know, it, it initially started, as you said, he was just kind of a guy, and then, like, so I remember watching that year, and slowly but surely, it was like, oh, okay, okay, this guy can play, and then, like, as the year had gone on, you started to see a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then to the playoffs, he's, he's a part of it, you know what I mean? He is as important as, as those other guys, and that's one of the big moments when, when the, the Spurs win the title there, and they're sending Robinson off. It should have been, like, a sorrow, like, oh, my God, but it felt like, oh, no, we're just getting started, man. This Ginobili guy's good. Duncan's still in his prime, and he's staying around for a while. Parker had started to show himself as being pretty good, so it it was really cool in that sense that you're sending away Robinson, you know, he's winning his fi- championship on his final year, but you sense that, oh man, this is only just getting started for the Spurs. And obviously as we saw, they'd have another, you know, 15 years of, of, of success. Yeah. So uh, I want to dig in a little bit of just some of the numbers of his, uh, you know, summarizing his uh, career and just looking at some of the advances. We uh, did this, uh, I guess it was three summers ago now, on our uh, Top 50 Greatest Show. You know, we were looking at the cases of the uh, players, and Ginobili was one of the guys that we um, looked at. It's a really good show with Miles Ma. I'll, um, <clears throat> we'll include this, the uh, link to that in the show notes if you haven't heard it, but it's a, it's a fun one. Um, but in his career, uh, overall, he was 66th all-time in win shares, 26th in win shares for 48, uh, 21st in box score plus minus. That goes uh, back to 1974 season, uh, which he was uh, in our uh, show that we did at the time. He was 13th at that time, so obviously the end of his career. Kind of knocked that down a little bit, and there's some players, I think, who have you know jumped up in that category uh, since then. Steph Curry, I imagine, in the last three years has boosted I'd imagine, there. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 35th in value of placement. So, you know, really good, despite, again, you know, the limited minutes that he played in his career, has, you know, really, really good career value, really Im- impressive career value. You even, even some of those, you know, these totals. And, you know, yeah, he obviously played, you know, 16 seasons a long time, but he, he started his, his career when he was 25. I mean, he, you know, there were, you know, probably four or five good years there. And maybe he wasn't ready for the NBA at that point. You know, who knows? But, um, but you know, most guys have you know are able to start around you know twenty twenty one or so, and you know have those years to kind of build up that value. And you know he joined joined kind of late, so to be able to um, yeah, you know, play that long, starting at that age, and to play effectively, you know, almost his entire career up until you know, kind of went down in his last season, um, you know, says a lot. Um, of course, you know the four championships. Um, only two all NBA appearances, a third team both times. You know, we kind of explained the reasoning for that. Um, and in, in terms of like top ten rankings and some of the you know, value statistics, he was uh, five times in the top ten in the league in winchester forty eight, and four times in the top ten in value of replacement. Um, you know, so again, kind of the stuff that we've talked about, where you know he was an elite permanent player, uh, but you know, averaged a, a relatively low amount of time in his uh, career. Um, and, and really never led the league in any, you know, category, but, you know, given the role that he played, he kind of did. But, you know, we, we talked about here, and I, I think it, it still stands true, is there were a lot of similarities to Sam Jones, where, you know, of the, of the Boston Celtics in the 60s, where they, you know, they played very similar minutes, had very similar roles, you know, produced at similar rates, um, you know, were the kind of guys who were known for stepping up in big moments or stepping up when, you know, maybe there was a guy out or a guy injured, but weren't, you know, really, you know, weren't like ball dominant players, were just kind of guys who stepped up sort of in big moments. And, um, you know, and I think that's kind of the, um, you know, the, the, the parallel that I would, that I would. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a good one. And yeah, it, it's like you said, as you said, when we were talking about a little bit earlier, a guy who, because you were able to watch him, you, you understand his impact a little bit more and you 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 understand just how important he was to that team and their success or whatever and, and, and the sacrifice. And yeah, Sam Jones is a great uh, example of that as well. And it, it, it's funny, when I went to uh, uh, Manu's basketball reference page, I thought there was like a formatting error because he never led the league in anything. Never anything once at any point. And you're like, oh, come on. It's got to be, he had like steals per game or steals per 48. Like nothing. There's no bold anywhere on that. And, and it's amazing. And and we're going to talk about how we, I mean, we made a legit argument for him being in the top 50. We're going to talk about him as a, as a slam dunk, no doubt, uh, Hall of Famer. Uh, if there was just a strictly NBA Hall of Fame, we'll talk about that in a bit. He would definitely make that one too. But it, and it seems weird. People might say, well, he never led the league in anything. He, did. he was only third team, you know, two times all third team or whatever. But I think being able to do as much as he did, given his minutes and all that sort of stuff, it's weird. I, I understand where people may have some apprehension toward it, may think that, that there might be stuff. And, like, yeah, I don't know how history is going to sort of see him. But, yeah, I think – those of us who watched him and were able to know his impact and know just how important he was will appreciate him a little bit more, even if the, the stats don't kind of jump it or, or, or really tell the tale all that much. So I, I do have to correct you, Rich, because he did uh, – now, in the regular season, it's true. He never led the league in anything. But in the playoffs, he led the league in games played in uh, <laughs> 2003, 2007, and 2014. And he also led the uh, in steals per game in uh, 2010 and 2011. Okay, and right. in uh, and in free throws in 2005, he had a, he uh, made 147 free throws in uh, 23 games uh, out of 185. So and that's so in the playoffs. Okay, all right. In, so. in the playoffs, yeah. So I stand corrected. Lead. Yeah, I stand yeah corrected. there you go. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the games played. I'm always like, ooh, get, oh yeah, right. <laughs> games played. Right, all you yeah, have to do so. is win the championship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, like there was uh, I forget who tweeted it, and I don't want to like you know target anybody. But somebody mentioned the idea that oh yeah, if there were a Hall- NBA Hall of Fame, he probably wouldn't make it. And I just I just thought that was such the most ridiculous thing yeah. like you could ever imagine. Like yes, of course. And we've already talked about yeah. Well, you know he is because he had a limited role most of his career, limited minutes role. Yeah, he's not like you know, in the upper, upper echelon of guys. But, yeah, he was such an important player to, uh, you know, f- throughout his career for one of the great teams of all time. Of course he would make it. There's, there's no – he performed incredibly well during those times. And, uh, you know, as we said, you know, one of the great sixth men of all time. And it really, honestly, like, if, if that's what you're thinking about when, you know, Manu Ginobili, like, if that's, like, the way you need to, like, reduce things to, like, honor Manu Ginobili, it's just yeah, it's just so silly and so dumb. And it just – it made me mad. And I feel like – and I have a podcast, so I can spend 30 seconds rambling about how <laughs> mad it made me. And that's, uh, that's going to be my uh, outlet for that. Yeah, no, and, and like obviously the anybody who the basketball hall of fame, he's he's hundred percent in, like a, a thousand percent in, because you know the, the even just winning that gold medal for Argentina, I mean that is a super important thing to basketball history. Is is a team not only just beating America, but like like really handily, you know, showing themselves as as you know, hey, this is not an American sport anymore. This is an international sport. I mean that that two thousand four uh, uh, gold medal, two thousand four, right? Is that is that the do I have the right year? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, four, right? I, I had my Olympic years off. I, th- I think it's 04 is the year that they... Yes, it was yeah, 04, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I'm trying to wonder. Yeah, my, I have my Winter Olympic year. No, I don't. Uh, the, the, some of the, yeah, the 04, <laughs> yeah, I do not follow the Summer Winter Olympics all that much. But yeah, that 04 team, I mean, that Argentina team, they didn't beat the USA in the gold medal games, but but beating them before the gold medal. I mean, that that is a, a profoundly important... 
you know, thing in in in, in international basketball history, uh, in a storied Euroleague career, and then also winning like you know the the, new, the four NBA titles, doing all he did. I mean, he's an absolute shoe in for the, the actual basketball Hall of Fame, and they'd be a Hall of Fame the same thing. Like even if even if you want to say, oh well, he never led the you know like I said, led the league in this or did this or this or whatever, being a key cog in four NBA championships and, and being the key cog in one of the best dynasties, run of successes, whatever the hell you want to call the Spurs thing, like yeah, no doubt he's in, and he's like a very good player too. He's like one of the best six men of all time. Like you can't tell the story, you can't tell the history of the NBA without at some point mentioning Manu Ginobili. And in that case, yeah, he's absolutely would make any Hall of Fame that has anything to do with basketball. So yeah, that's that's ridiculous. And and also, who fucking cares? Like it's the Hall of Fame. Like yeah, because shit. Right. Yeah. So he only won the Sixth Man of the Year award once in 2008. But if you look at how many, yeah, times... that's ridiculous. That's stupid. No, tell me how that's wrong, Jason, because I think that's right. wrong. I will tell you how it's wrong. Okay, good. So <laughs> if you look at uh, Boxer plus minus ranks for all the players who played under 30 minutes a game uh, starting when he became a six-man, which is 2007 season. Um, in 2007, he was first. Uh, in 2008, when he won the award, he was first. 2009, he missed half the season, so caveat there, but he was first. 2010, he was first. Uh, 2011, he actually became a starter for most of the season, so um, I, I think he actually played slightly over 30 minutes per game in that one, so he, that one wouldn't count. Uh, 2012, he missed half the season, but he was also first. Uh, 2013, he was second to Jason Kidd, who was a starter, so he, you know, would have been there as well. Uh, 2014, he was fourth, and then 2015, he was down a bit, and then 2016, he was fourth. Um, he was still in the top 20, I think, in 2015, and I think in 2017, or maybe like 21st. But so, you know, yeah, you you look at guy. Okay, he was first most of these years in top five. You know, pretty much all of these years. Couple years, he missed too many games probably to be considered. Six man, although I don't know who really cares about that. If you if you play 40, 50 games, you probably can still be the most effective six man in the league. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, this is obviously just one metric, and you know, there's a lot of caveats there. But yeah, he absolutely the fact that you know he yeah definitely could have won it. You know, pretty much any of these years except for you know the, the years that he missed um, too much time. Um, you know, says a lot about his career, and and, and I think absolutely he could have you know he, had, he could have had three or four of uh, those awards for sure. Yeah, who are these bums that won these? I I, I forgot. I don't follow these. Well, six J- years. Jamal Crawford. I mean, let's I mean, oh, okay. be careful I, what we I'm say sorry. about Jamal Crawford. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, a lot of those years probably. Well, James Harden won it one year. So um, let's see. Leandro Barbosa. Okay, I'll allow that. You get Manu. Yeah. Jason Terry. I'll allow it. Jamal Crawford. I'll allow it. Lamar Odom. I'll allow it. Uh, Jared Smith. Get the hell out of here with that year. Oh, um, oh no. <laughs> yeah, get the hell out of there. Uh, Jamal Crawford again. I'll allow that one. Uh, and then 2016, Jamal Crawford again. Okay, well. I mean, we love Jamal Crawford, but <laughs> Fine. I, probably Manu probably. I'm taking that Jared Smith one away and giving that to Manu. Okay. Um, yeah, Barbosa. I would say I would probably put Manu over. over, over yeah. yeah, that over was the 07 yeah. Barbosa. So I mean, that was okay. And then oh, that okay. 09, the 09 Jason Terry. I mean, the Mavs were really great that year, but. Yeah. Um, and he missed half the year that year, so that that one I'll, I'll, I'll allow that, that one too. Okay, All so that's right. fine. And Lamar Odom was obviously a huge part of the the, the Lakers thing, so yeah. uh, that's fine. Jared Smith, we'll you're give, losing yours. Um, okay, we'll give him a Jamal Crawford's and that'll. Yeah, you know Jamal doesn't need three; he could be fine no, too. No, he can so. have two. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, I think that's fair. Good. All right, I we, think we've, we've righted the uh, ship of uh, NBA history. <laughs> Good. I will inform Jared Smith to return his. He doesn't have. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Does Jared Smith even have that six man year award anymore? It's in a closet somewhere for sure. Probably in a closet. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, I would. I, I think we need to do a deep dive into where uh, J.R. Smith's uh, Six Man Award probably <laughs> is located right now. You know, we need an in depth investigation, multi part episode. You'd be like, it'll like be like serial, but for like yeah, the like most us, you know, of, uh, walking around J.R. Smith's house, yeah, and trying yeah. to find his Six Man sure. Award. We'll just break in. It'll be fine. Whatever. All right. Um, so there's a uh, ESPN. Uh, 
article on the uh, the, the top twenty uh, or twenty of you know Ginobili's most important moments of his career, and uh, in one of them talks about the idea of Ipavovich basically saying uh, to Ginobili in January 2007 of just, you know, being like, hey, I think you'd be better off being a sixth man and um, and doing so. And I think this is also was detailed in that Zach Lowe article that you uh, wrote. But um, Popovich said, I don't think I've ever admitted this, even to my staff. But if Manu decided he was not good with it, he was going to start. Whatever he said, we would do it. He deserved that. And then after he won the award, uh, Popovich uh, made the joke about, uh, you know, um, about where Ginobili might keep the award. He said, he probably wants to take it and shove it up my ass. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, like you said, I mean, he obviously was incredibly effective in that role and, um, you know, was uh, was willing to do that. And that probably contributed to, you know, helped the team along, helped them have other players who were effective starters, including, you know, Kawhi Leonard. You know, probably that was, of course, later on when he, when, uh, when Ginobili was older, but still, you know, it opened up the opportunities for other players for the Spurs and allowed them to maybe thrive when they may have had less of an opportunity to do that if they had been coming off the bench instead of Ginobili. So, and plus, you know, he had more ability to handle the ball more and do yeah. more than he would have with, you know, competing with Parker and Duncan. I think that's one of the the things that, and, and, and I know, like, some teams actually try to do it pretty well and some teams, but I really think that's honestly one of the things that, that if you can get a player that's willing to sacrifice that and willing to say, Hey, look, I don't care that I start. It's a huge boon to come because you know, you, a lot of times other teams won't, other teams will have their second unit come out. And if you can have a guy who's worthy of being, you know, a first unit player on your second unit and, and it really does. I mean, yeah, it, it towards the end of the game, it doesn't matter as much, but that first quarter is a huge moment. We're going to talk about a few games uh, in Ginobili's career as well, where, where he comes in when the Spurs maybe get down a little bit early, he comes in and completely transforms the game or they're up a little bit. And then he comes, in and then they just even get a little bit farther and the game is under their control almost the entire time it's it's definitely just kind of a, a thing that I think is a little underutilized is putting a really great player in that second unit a guy who who can really thrive by doing everything and and, and kind of leading that that unit um in the minutes that they're in there but yeah it's unfortunate that uh, we don't like if the war like I know the Warriors would never ever do that but like imagine like if Kevin Durant was just like in charge of like you know what I mean like Steph and and the other Warriors were just their little thing and obviously they're, they're fine the way they do they probably don't need to listen to my advice they're, they're doing pretty well on their own but like I'm just imagagining like this like you have Steph and Draymond and Claire, like the first, and then like Durant comes with like the second, and like you're just like, oh my god, like when did we never get a second to to breathe or whatever? And then by the end of the game, everyone's in there and it'd be pretty fun. But I've always thought that'd be a real cool thing to see. But we saw it with Ginobili, so we saw how successful it was in, in, in many many years. Sure, and, and there's other ways to do it, you know, in terms of staggering guys and stuff. Oh but, sure, but, sure, yeah. but absolutely, yeah, that, that's I think that's a key concept. So we uh, decided to uh, look at some of the uh, the best games in uh, Ginobili's career with the top six, uh, six in honor of Bill Russell, since uh, Bill Russell was number six. We're going to go with the six here instead of five. You know, five is so square. Six. It's, yeah, it's everybody number, does so. five, but yeah. nobody does six. So, yeah, yeah, six, like exactly. It, yeah. So so, uh, so number one is uh, February 13th, 2008. It was the Spurs and the Cavs, a finals rematch in Cleveland. The uh, Spurs won uh, 112 to uh, 105. And uh, Ginobili had 46 points on 96 true shooting. Uh, 8 <laughs> of 11 for 3. That's pretty good, yeah. Eight That's out of 100. <laughs> That's right. really good. That's out of 100, yeah. Well, I guess you can have more than 100, technically. You know, <laughs> yeah. true shooting, you can uh, yes, sure, yeah, yeah, with yeah, threes, right. yeah. But, but nevertheless, uh, so 8 of 11 from 3, uh, 8 of 9 uh, from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals, 1 turnover, a 46.6 uh, game score, which is... Uh, tied for the 64th best in recorded NBA history, considering both the regular season and the playoffs. Now, this one dates back to 83 and 84, and then there are some 
previous to that where there's enough of a box score to be able to calculate it, but that's, you know, a very spotty pre-84. But every game from 84 on is included in this. So, you know, 64th best, uh, uh, certainly, um, and up there in some of the greatest uh, games in NBA history, at least according to this basketball reference metric. Um and uh, Tony Park was out with uh, injury in this game. It was the last game of the annual ro- uh, rodeo road trip that the uh, Spurs went on every year. So, you know, tired, exhausted there. Uh, Parker out. They needed a big performance from Manu. And, you know, he went off, obviously, you know, in incredible fashion. Uh, he was four for four from three and at 18 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, this was a game also where LeBron uh, had 18th in the fourth quarter. So it was the two of them dueling. And LeBron had 39, six and nine in the game. So not, not too bad there. In fact, LeBron actually hit a three to put the Cavs up 91 to 89 with six minutes left, but then, you know, um, Manu keyed a Spurs run after that to allow them to uh, win the game. And, um, you know, some quotes from this. Uh, Tim Duncan said, he's unbelievable when he gets rolling like that. The funny part, I've seen him do it before. Uh, LeBron said, it was unbelievable. There's nothing you do when a guy gets hot like that. He shot setback threes. He shot pull-up threes. And, uh, you know, Ginobili said it was a special game. I was feeling good from the beginning. I feel like every shot was going in, and it did. Um and uh, and Popovich said he's one of the most unbelievable competitors that's ever been around. That's why he has NBA championships and Olympic championships and European championships. He's a pretty special guy. And this is actually the right at the tail end for the Cavs of the Larry Hughes uh, era. So Daniel Marshall era. You know they were uh, they were out in, after this week and going on as, as the Cavs were kind of struggling at this point in transition. Not to anything to do with Manu, but I thought that was sort of an interesting uh, time capsule of. Uh, of this point it's, it's kind of weird to think of like the spurs and Cavs and like being like a finals rematch because that finals itself just seems like such a a weird oddity of that you know being a big rivalry even though at, at this point in time that absolutely was a huge game yeah for sure no it's uh it's definitely yeah the weird <laughs> weird air and it just speaks to you know the longevity of some of these guys like you mentioned Emmanuel ginobili and, and a lebron james we're talking about you know guys like larry hughes you know what i mean and man who just retires and lebron's still arguably in his prime so it's incredible to, to see how these guys have kind of hung around uh, next game here, uh, January 21st, 2005. It's the Spurs and the Suns. Uh, Manu has 48 points. That's his career high. Uh, 88% true shooting, I mentioned. No no 50-point games, but he does have a 48. It's so a real, real close there. Uh, five rebounds, six assists, three turnovers, a 41.4 game score. Uh, and this is interesting, too, because the Spurs rallied from a 17-point deficit in this game in the fourth quarter uh, to capture the 128-123 overtime victory. I believe this one recently aired on uh, uh, NBA TV, one of their Harvard Classics games. I remember watching it not that long ago before, even, before I even knew Manu was going away. But... Uh, yeah, it's a real fun game. Uh, and yeah, it speaks a little bit to uh, th- this rivalry. If you weren't around during this time period or really following the NBA, these guys were were neck and neck every time and, and, and really battling. And, and you know, for better or for worse, the, the Spurs were a lot of times getting the advantage in the playoffs. It was the idea that, you know, D'Antoni's stuff is just not, you know, you can do the seven seconds or less and run and gun, but man, when the playoffs come, like, you got to slow things down and the Spurs are the ones that's going to win. But it was always fun to see the rivalry because it was, you know, left hook, right hook, punch, you know, back and forth between these two teams that played such a different style. Uh, but man, who stepped up... Um, in a huge way in this game, and obviously the, the you know the rivalry between these two uh, would continue for a few more years. Uh, Ginobili was quoted after the game saying, "I've never had a game like this." Interestingly enough, he played with two bruised quads in this game, and he had left uh, at one point limping off the court uh, after his left ankle was stepped on, so he was definitely banged up here. Uh, down 17, Popovich then decided uh, to use a small ball lineup. So I guess that seven seconds or less isn't so bad. <laughs> he used a small ball lineup. Uh, he had Duncan, Ginobili, Brent Berry, Devin Brown, and Bino Udrich. Those are names. Bino Udrich <laughs> were the lineup, and they rallied. Uh, Ginobili stepped up with Parker missing all but one of his nine shots and Bruce Bowen went 0 for 7 in that game so man who really uh, carried the load there with that 48 uh, the career high 
And our third game on the list, uh, and actually only eight days after the uh, number one on this list. So he was on quite a run uh, there uh, at that point. Uh, 44 points on 95 true shooting. It was 7 of 9 from 3. Uh, three rebounds, four assists, a 38.9 game score. Uh, he, and this is against the Timberwolves, uh, was 19 points in the second quarter, including six straight threes. And he hit a game winner with 6.2 seconds left. He was uh, he was able to penetrate, take a dribble behind his back, and then hit a 17-footer at the top of the key over Randy Foy. Uh, his quote was, he's always trying to get to the rim, but Foy took over my left pretty good, and my counter move is always a step back right. I got lucky there, took a good shot, and it went in. And I just felt like I wanted to take every shot because they were going in. So, uh, you know, kind of uh, sort of summed up his, you know, his mentality in terms of how he kind of played was, you know, he did a lot of attacking, he did a lot of penetrating, and then, you know, when the defense would, you know, overreact to do that, he'd get his jumpers or he'd take a three or, you know, whatever he would do and, um, you know, was uh, typified in, you know, how he played here. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a great game, and I like, yeah, Randy Foy. These are, these are names, man. <laughs> Pino Udrich <laughs> yeah. and Randy Foy. That's uh, yes. probably David the last Brown. time we'll talk about yeah. Pino Udrich and Randy Foy, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that I know of. I don't know. We, we might, right, you uh, never know. Yeah. I, you never know when Randy Foy might come up again, but I'm glad we yeah, did this. Yeah. Right. Uh, next game on the list here is uh, November 9th, 2009, is the Toronto Raptors versus the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Manager normally has 36 points, four rebounds, eight assists, four blocks, a 37.9 game score. This is off the bench as well, by the way, so that's uh, really good uh, numbers there. Uh, Tim Duncan is out with an injury, so uh, if you've been following a path here, Manu, when when Parker or Duncan or anybody are dealing with injuries, Manu scores a lot and does a lot and has a lot of rebounds and has a lot of points and then has great game scores. So again, like we say, you know, you can say he's a beneficiary of, of you know time adjusted stats or whatever I think he's just a guy who was willing to sacrifice and when they needed him to step up he went all right cool I'll get 40 then for you I don't care like whatever I'll do it so uh yeah this is a great game for him he was really the spark uh, of this entire offense uh, his four blocks uh were, were incredible as well I mean just to have four blocks from Manu Ginobili uh, and effectively a shooting guard is, is pretty awesome uh even though they were down by two after the third quarter there was an unmistakable feeling that with Manu and this is from pounding the rock.com uh, by the way who did a recap of this game he said uh, even though we were down by two after the third quarter uh there was an unmistakable feeling that with Manu everything was going to turn out right in the end the man was possessed driving past around and between defenders attacking from all angles and making all the right passes oh and the three-point shooting was deadly it was vintage Manu using every weapon in his arsenal to declaw the rap so yeah, this is another great game uh, from Manu Ginobili in uh, 2009 against the Raptors. So, uh, going back to 2005, this is May 17th. It is a playoff series of the Spurs against the uh, Sonics, and uh, this is the Jerome James. Series. Yes, for some reason, yes, <laughs> yes. We got it. We should almost do a whole episode on the James, uh, the James Jones, the Jerome James, just to because anytime we can laugh at Isaiah Thomas, I'm in. Um, and this <laughs> will right. be an all time laugh for this one. Yeah. So that, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. But uh, Jerome James played really well this year. No, he, he played he was awesome. Really like, impressive. He was yeah, very, he was really very good. Yeah. I get it. Right. I wouldn't have paid him like, you know, $80 million over like, but, you know, yeah. hey, he got his money, man. I, I'm, yeah. I'm fine. Hey. And if it makes, hey. you know, if it makes Isaiah look like an idiot, I'm cool with it. Sure. Too, so, sure. So, uh, but Ginobili, uh, awesome in this game, game five. It was, it was tied 2-2 at the time. Um, Ginobili had 39 points on 87 true shooting, 15 to 17 for the free throw line, four rebounds, six assists, two steals, a 36 point, excuse me, a 30, yeah, 36.9 game score. Um, yeah, and this was, in fact, Manu was inserted back in the starting lineup um, and had a career, um, career best uh, playoff uh, points, 39 points. That was his career um, high and the uh, playoffs. And, um, 
He'd actually been a starter in the entire season and in the uh, an opening in the playoffs, and then they uh, this was a time which which uh, Pop decided before he kind of became a full time six man, uh, decided to have him come off the bench and have him be kind of the team's energizer. And um, uh, Ginobili was able to hit two early three pointers. This is from an ESPN recap of the game, by the way. Uh, and then Seattle w- was able to force. T- to cover him more in the perimeter, and then he opened up his driving lanes as you know he was able to uh, obviously keep the factors of success. Uh, his quote is, "I was very concerned about bringing a lot of juice energy. It didn't matter if it was after six minutes or from the start. I want to drive to the basket and make things happen." And um, and then Duncan said, uh, "Mata was awesome. Tony and myself weren't playing great games, but he found a way to take us over that hump." And uh, again, with you know where you know either the uh, uh, you know Parker or Duncan are out or are limited, it's another time that he definitely uh, steps up. That seems to be the the theme for you know pretty much all these great games. For sure, and 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 the sad news, unfortunately, this is the uh, last playoff series of the Sonics, as we know. And unfortunately, they oh yeah, have had a few more playoff series as the Thunder, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, gosh, I forgot, I forgot about that. Yeah, because they, they were pretty much bad after this. They, yeah, that was then, kind of the last year they were good, and then yeah, yeah, they started to decline after that. And then, just, of course, they traded Ray Allen, and yeah, and the rest then, is history. Yeah, didn't yeah, nothing yeah. Quite got back together. So pretty shame. Right. So it was Jerome James yeah. that was leading the charge in the Sonics last. Playoff run. And then yeah. our final game here uh, is from 2007. This is the uh, San Antonio Spurs versus the Phoenix Suns again, May 18th, 2007. You got 33 points on 79% true shooting percentage for Manu. 11 rebounds, 6 assists, 4 steals, a 33.2 game score. Again, off the bench. Another time he stepped up against the Suns. He definitely enjoyed playing against the Suns. Um, this is the game of Mari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw famously uh, returned from the Game 5 suspension. So they were back for this game. Uh, that That's a whole... That's probably... A, uh, in a whole episode on its own or whatnot, that whole suspension stuff, but we can get to that uh, one of these days. But uh, yeah, Ginobili had 33 points and a career high 11 rebounds uh, for the Spurs. They saw a 20 point lead cut to five late in the game. Um, in usual uh, Ginobili fashion, he was kind of banged up and bruised at this point. He had sustained a, bl- a bruise and bloodied eye on a drive to the basket uh, in game three, uh, but came back in this game and, and, and was able to perform as well as he did. Uh, Popovich, after the game, said it was a hard fought physical basketball game. Uh, we were thrilled with the win. And uh, yeah, frankly, I'm going to figure out how we did this. He, uh, This is Popovich basically not knowing how the hell his team beat the Spurs, the Suns, who were really cruising at this time and really had, again, like we had seen kind of an ebb and flow with the Spurs, uh, the, the, the Suns, I should say, for a while, but the 2017 really things started looking like they were together again and everything was ready to go and and this was the year a lot of people pegged them to possibly win the championship and the Spurs found a way to still kind of break through and still kind of work uh, work through them here uh some stories about this game San Antonio uh, entered the fourth quarter leading 81 to 67 so I feel like they had it in there uh Ginobili led the way over the final 12 minutes he had a three-pointer uh with uh, 10 and a half minutes to play to make it 86 70 and this basket with uh, just over nine minutes left gave the Spurs a 92 72 lead uh Suns rally Nash hits a three with under a minute to play 105 99 uh made one of his two free throws and a Sean Marion dunk, uh, then got the Suns back uh, into 106-101 game. Uh, Ginobili made two more free throws, and Michael Finley hit a basket to put the Spurs up by nine uh, with 17 seconds left. So they were able to kind of make it make it through there. Uh, they win 114 uh, to 106 and kind of take command of the lead or, or, or win the series, I should say, uh, in, in in six games uh, going up 4-2. And, and again, like effectively dashing what many thought was the best chance for the Suns uh, to win a title. Um, and things kind of went off the rails a little bit there for the Suns. And, and they'd have, you know, a few good years, but uh, the Shaq years would come after this one. This was the last of the, what I would consider the pure kind of seven seconds or left Spurs before, or the Suns, I should say, before uh, you started getting a little bit more tinkering of, hey, why, we, why don't we get Shaq? Or, hey, why don't we slow things down a little bit? This was it. And effectively the Spurs and, and Ginobili in a lot of ways, once again, sort of dashed all the hopes for uh, for Phoenix. 
Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and, and as you talked about, you kind of had that pattern of, you know, especially against the Suns because they were, you know, such uh, tough rivals with the Suns of stepping up in those in those big games. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and I think just showing what he could do in the playoffs and absolutely kind of sealing it you know the um you know the the Suns had lost game five but it was a very very close game and you know, obviously without with getting back Dion Stoudemire they thought okay you know, if we can win here in San Antonio at game six you know game seven would have been in Phoenix and they would have had a chance there but you know Amadu was you know among the top performers to be able to prevent that prevent that from happening for the Spurs obviously sad for Suns fan but obviously really important you know in in a year they won the championship for the Spurs you know really important moment for them so we want to talk about some of our favorite random memories, a little bit of trivia here on uh, in Manu's career to uh, kind of close up the show. Uh, there, there's some good ones here, a few that I'd kind of forgot about. We, you know, dug into some kind of recaps of his career and uh, you know, kind of searched our brains for some of the uh, some of the big moments and uh, tried to find some uh, good ones. Um, the first one is his uh, his game winner for Argentina against uh, Serbia. This is one I kind of completely forgotten about until I was you know going going through these and looking at the highlights of the Olympics. Uh, yeah, I, I watched you know, the twenty thousand four Olympics here or there, but this one yeah, I, I kind of forgotten about. But um, you know the Serbia was up by one, and Argentina only after a free throw only had three point eight to go across the court, and uh, their point guard was able to get it across the court, then pass it to Manu near the at the foul line and Manu's moving at at full speed and he basically you know hits like a falling layup you know off the glass where he's you know completely going out of bounds it just you know kisses the glass and goes in and it's just an incredible moment you know everyone's going crazy and the coach is running around and everyone's mobbing each other for Argentina and it was early on you know um I think the first round of the, you know, the final part of the tournament, you know, that led to the gold medal for them. But, you know, without that, obviously, they, I don't believe they would have had a chance to win the gold medal. So that was a, obviously huge for them. And Jomi said at the time, it was almost impossible. Once I left my hand, I knew it was good. This is a very special thing. So, yeah, understated, just, but exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great. I mean, if you get a chance, I know there there are some highlight videos up there of Ginobili's performances in those Olympics. Uh, just kind yeah. of, a, uh, I think like a fifteen minute highlight video of what, especially what he does against America too. It's just incredible stuff, and it's like this dude's good. You know, what I mean, this guy yeah, has yeah, arrived, yeah. and yeah. and there's this stuff too. Even uh, even back in two thousand two, before he had come into the NBA, there was the uh, the World Games. Uh, in Indianapolis, and that was the first time when people m- kind of realized, oh, hold on a minute, like this Argentina team might beat America. I remember that being like a very big worry, uh, and that America had you know better get serious in the 2004 Olympics, and as they of course did. You know, Larry Brown is nothing if not <laughs> the man who, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Carmelo, Allen Iverson, and Larry Brown, they got things serious. Don't worry, <laughs> it was everything was okay. But uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah very interesting. But yeah, watching those uh, the highlights in the 2002 World Games and then the 2004 Olympics, uh, definitely worth your time there. Uh, November 6, 2007, this is a fun game as well. Uh, this is a dunk over Yao Ming, which uh, Ginobili is never known for for being the most athletic guy in the world. But with that being said, he had a lot of really awesome dunks. <laughs> we'll talk about yeah. a few here, or especially if you watch like the you know NBA.com uh, had the, their you know top 20 Manu highlight video or whatever. And a lot of them are like these pretty awesome dunks where you you the whole time are wondering, I wonder what he's going to do here. And it's like, oh, shit, he dunked. Okay, wow. Because it doesn't ever look like he's taking off for a dunk, and then it just sort of happens. It's very strange in that way. Maybe it's the left-handed dribbling or the left-handed shot. I don't know what it is. But uh, yeah, in this, he... Uh, he um, Intercepts a pass from Yao Ming, droves the lane, and then just throws down a two-handed jam over Yao Ming, which is no easy task at any point uh, in Yao Ming's career. But, uh, yeah, this is an awesome one to check out. One of many uh, great Manu dunks uh, that you'll find in, in, in highlight videos. And uh, he had a game winner against the Suns in the 2008 playoffs. The Suns, again, victims of, uh, <laughs> of Manu there. But um, Manu hit a, a driving bank shot. It was an overtime of uh, game one. Um, 
with 1.8 seconds remaining to, uh, to to seal the game, it was another one, another great uh, game in their rivalry. It was, and Duncan even said it feels like a finals game, just you know, even though it was the first game of the first series, just because of the intensity uh, there. But you know, another uh, another nail in the coffin for the uh, for, for the Spurs against the Suns in that series. Uh, overall, I didn't necessarily have a great game, but just you know, had that moment where he stepped up and and hit the hit the big uh, driving bank game winner. Yeah, it's a real fun one there. Um, this one, the one of one of his more famous parts of his entire career, uh, Manu and the Bat, which in, in 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 your notes you put this in, and I discovered this as I was doing research as well. That was on Halloween. Like, how incredible <laughs> was it that Manu swipes a bat out of the sky or out of the air on a fucking Halloween? Like, I had no, I for, completely forgot about. It. I thought it was just in February. You know what I mean? I never knew that I was on Halloween. Like, why don't we talk about this all the time? This should be the greatest moment in NBA history. This should be the greatest moment in in American history, in in yeah. the world's history. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. A bat on Halloween? <laughs> like, we should always talk about this every day. We should remember that Manu swats a bat out of the air on Halloween. This is the most incredible thing ever. But uh, and then Manu's quotes are also great too. Uh, he says it was it's it's just a mouse with wings. When you can't dunk anymore, you have to find a way to make it into the news. So that's what I did. I grabbed a bat. I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm gonna be retiring soon. If anybody has a pest problem, since 2009, by the way, he's retiring yeah, soon. I'm retiring soon. Yeah, <laughs> right. he'd have oh. like you know four more like super productive years and win a few more titles and make some more NBA finals. But yeah, I'll be retiring soon in 2009. But uh, but now he can now he's free to become an exterminator. So that's good for him. So. One of my favorite highlights of uh, his career is when he uh, is when Manu fakes out uh, Kevin Garnett with like the the phantom pass attempt and then hits like a fadeaway like around him. Like, that was one of my. It, it was kind of reminiscent of like the Pistol Pete stuff where he would like uh, he would basically fake the um, he would kind of like spin and fake the layup and get the guy out of position and then like just do do the layup himself. It was kind of a variation of that, but that's one of my favorite ones. I I couldn't figure out exactly what year that was, but that was sometime with Garnett and the the. Uh, Celtics, so obviously 08 to 12 or whatever, he ended up being traded to the Nets there. But that's a that's definitely a fun one if you haven't uh, seen that one. That one was making the rounds a lot when um, you know on the news of his retirement. So e- easy one to find. Yeah, and it's uh, it's pretty good because Garnett just immediately just has no idea what happens and like looks at the ref yeah. like, no, something right. had to have happened. <laughs> it's like, no, he just like I don't know. He's like, no, 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 I'm Kevin Garnett. There's no way that happened. <laughs> it's like, no, it, 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 it's great. Yeah, one of the Manu stuff, and I know uh, Zach Lowe's piece. Uh, on Manu. It was published, I think, two years ago, but I think they republished it. If you just look up Zach Lowe, Manu Ginobili, it should come up right away. Uh, does a good job of talking about some of the weird creative moves that Manu was so good at. Like, one that I didn't really necessarily realize was one of his calling cards, but then when I watched the video, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen that a ton of times, is he would, a lot of times, so he'd have a guy on the perimeter and then he'd have a guy kind of cutting towards the basket, and what he would do is do sort of a jump pass like he's about to pass to the guy on the perimeter, and then of course, that if everybody kind of goes to that guy on the perimeter, and then gets it to the guy who's cutting to the basket, and that guy who's cutting to the basket just it's an immediate thing and like you see the highlights and you're like it, it shouldn't work as well as it does but man it was so good at selling it and so good at the no look passes and so good at just these things that just you would never why who thinks of that like who would think to even do this sort of move and and it's just there's a lot of those as well and this is you know the fakes uh, he had some behind the back fakes and stuff that he would do as well just the, his passing is 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 just unbelievable and i don't know that we I don't know if we recognize him as much for, for his passing or for his... Cre- we do recognize him, I think, for his creativity, but I think he's even on a higher level than a lot of us probably uh, remember. Because some of his stuff was just like this, like, oh, geez, that was cool. That was really interesting. And then, like, you almost have to watch it a few times to go, like, oh, that's actually a genius move that he just did there. And, that, like, this KG one is absolutely one. But, yeah, check it out. If you just look up uh, Ginobili fakes out KG, I think you'll be able to find it on, on YouTube pretty easily. 
Um, next one, the 2013 uh, semis, the Western Conference semis uh, against the Warriors. He hits a game-winner here. Ginobili had a game-winning three-pointer with 1.2 seconds left in the second overtime. Uh, Golden State at this point had led 107-106 with about 3.4 seconds remaining. On an inbounds play, Kawhi Leonard throws a cross-court pass to Ginobili, who had lost his man after setting a screen for Parker. Ginobili knocks down the shot for a 129-127 win, as mentioned. Uh, at the time, teams down 16 points or more over the final four minutes, which they had come back from, were a record uh, of 0 and 392 at that point, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. Ginobili then changes that to 1 and 392, which is awesome. What's even more incredible about this game is that Ginobili had missed his previous seven shots before nailing the game winner. Uh, Popovich was quoted after the game, said, I went from trading him on the spot to wanting to cook him breakfast tomorrow. So that's uh, pretty good stuff. Uh, and then when Ginobili talks about uh, the thing, he says, I was wide open, so I didn't have any other option. If I could have thought about it and did something else, I could have. Uh, it was only the second shot I had made all day. Good timing, though. So he basically says, well, I don't want to shoot because I sucked at shooting, so I was going to hopefully find somebody else. I didn't have time, so I just put it up and I scored because it's Manu. So, you know, yeah. good stuff there. And, and this was kind of the first, you know, the coming out party for the Steph and Clay, you know, and Draymond Warriors. I mean, they were they were all very young there. This was, I think, their first, you know, um, first time they had made the playoffs. And they gave the Spurs a really tough series, uh, you know, going forward. It was kind of the, you know, the the Spurs being able to hold them off, you know, it was obviously a couple years before they, the Warriors would turn into the Warriors, but this was, you know, a, a big challenge for them, and they were able to, um, you know, uh, hold them off in a tougher-than-expected series, I think, at uh, that at that time. So important for the team, obviously, you know, going to the finals of this year um, and uh, and then winning the championship the, the next year. Yeah, and this is definitely, the 2013, I remember it being a year where, where Ginobili felt like there was just, that, that maybe we were seeing the end of it, you know what I mean? Like, because there was there was there was this game where he obviously struggled. He hits the game winner, but he had struggled a lot. The finals, he famously had a, a, a few really terrible plays, and and it felt like at a time we were like, oh man, this might be it for Ginobili. Ginobili's kind of getting lost a little bit, but we'll talk about it in a bit. In 2014, he absolutely redeems himself uh, here in a little bit. But uh, I do remember this year being a very up and down year, and I know Popovich. That quote was not the first of like many. I'm really frustrated by Manu quotes because it just for whatever reason it just seemed a little off or just a little weird or whatnot. But uh, yeah, he'd obviously get things together. Uh, the following season but uh yeah so the uh the last game that uh the man who started was uh march 24th 2014 last regular season game uh that he started he he started in a win against the sixers uh, only nine points but he had five rebounds it was the spurs 14th uh, straight win in a row uh and the sixers it was a 25th consecutive loss so with big uh big, big contrast there um and basically, it was nothing, no particular reason to have him start. It was basically Parker was out, so, you know, he, uh, Ginobili stepped up and gave the team another facilitator uh, across the court. He did stop, start one game after that uh, in the playoffs in 2017. It was his, it was the last, Spurs last playoff um, game of uh, that year against the, uh, against the Warriors. I believe they were swept in that series. And uh, it was basically Popovich wanted to give, you know, Manu one last chance, you know, thinking, uh, that it may be his final game in as a Spurs uh, in a Spurs uniform, so he wanted to uh, you know to pay tribute to him and let him start in that game, and he obviously give the chance to you know at least win one game in this series. And they they did not, but he performed fairly well in that uh, in that role, and, and then surprised a lot of people by coming back for one more season. Absolutely. Uh, then we have the 2014 NBA Finals Game 5, and this might be one of the more famous Ginobili years uh, games, and it might be one of the more famous Spurs games of all time as well. If you get a chance, I think almost this entire 
game is on YouTube, or at least this entire run uh, the Spurs go on. Uh, definitely worth your time to watch this. So uh, the most famous scene of this was the, the dunk on Bosch. Uh, people remember that. The video makes the rounds often. Uh, but I think what a lot of people do forget is how important Ginobili was and how important this game was for uh, the Spurs. Of course, they won the title in this game. You know, this was game five. They're, they basically end the Heat dynasty, you know, in game five, just blow them out. Like, the, you know, the end of the game was 104-87, but the game did not start that way. The, the Heat jumps out to a 22-6 start to the game. Uh, LeBron James scores 17 points in the first quarter alone. So the Heat are rolling. The Heat looked like they're on track. The Spurs have been sort of dominating the series, but it might have looked like, oh, maybe the Heat are woken up, and oh, no, this is going to be trouble because obviously the prior year the Heat you know, beat the, beat the Spurs in the finals. Uh, Pop immediately puts Manu in the game a little bit earlier than he's usually going to. Uh, the Spurs almost never look back. So after... Uh, you know, after that dunk, Manu hits a step back three pointer over LeBron James, uh, and and in all time, I mean, he he's just you know Manu's getting layups, he's doing defensive plays, he's stealing the ball, he's just doing everything. Even with that dunk, I mean, that's the most important play, but he's just doing everything in this game. Uh, they outscored the Heat twenty five eleven in the second quarter, and they win the game easily one hundred four eighty seven. So much so, it's like a laugher at the end. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's that what you know the last two minutes of the game where guys just kind of dribbling around. You know, like people are handshaking each other with like a minute and a half to go. It's like yeah, this game's over. This game is nothing. Uh, what's what's interesting about this though, Ginobili, he was a game high plus 21 in this game and he ended with 19 points in just 28 minutes so yeah he comes in effectively the Spurs get back on track and they never look back and they win the title and 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 effectively end a dynasty you know changed the trajectory of the NBA for quite a few years you know what I mean like LeBron goes to Cleveland I don't know if he was if, if they win a title in Miami I don't know if he hangs around Miami for a little bit more if he stays but it's like it's one of those games they just put a dagger in the heart of Miami and it was just such a classic Spurs thing and it's, it's an awesome Spurs team as well it's just a weird collection of talent it's old it really should not have had any chance to win Kawhi sort of emerging you know he becomes the MVP uh, of that series but yeah I love 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 this uh this series and, and these games and, and I love the idea that we got back-to-back finals with those two teams too which so different teams as well and then we got different results in each of the finals as well it really stands out to me as something I really really love right and both those teams were even in both those series were playing at incredibly high level and obviously the Spurs I you know played better basketball than I think I've maybe ever seen you know, maybe you know, maybe a few examples. Uh, you know, I can think of, but over yeah, on a five game stretch, it's it's hard to see. You know, it wasn't like the, you know, the Heat were slowing down, but it wasn't like the Heat were necessarily playing you know bad basketball. Which is the Spurs were just on and you know an incredibly high level, and the Heat were not able to uh, match it in that series. And you know, and uh, yeah, that was obviously the last great gasp of uh, the Spurs before you know uh, before starting to um, you, you know basically backing off and you know um paving the way for the uh for the warriors to take over and, and kind of you know, to take that mantle the spurs had had before that yeah they just they just decimated the, the heat and right. it's like yeah that's a right. really good i mean the heater you know the, the prior year when they won the finals that was the year that that the heat were really you know that, that was the firing on all cylinders team that year before that was the team that won you know 60 plus games and lebron was like the most efficient player of all you know what i mean like just never missed right. a shot for you know months on end and the, the big win streak or whatnot but yeah this year i mean this is still the heat i mean this is still the Dwayne wade's still good he's starting to slow down a little bit lebron's still at the top of his game and it's just the spurs just decimated them, tore them apart in five games and it's a yeah it was it was a laugh at the end you know what i mean it was almost like no doubt that the spurs were going to win this thing uh by the third quarter of this game which is yeah it really you know now it's you look at the scores and go oh yeah well the Spurs are really good but like that was surprising at the time it was like there was no I mean they had done a, a, one of the best final series of all time the year prior and this year everybody's kind of getting ready for that again and it was like nope the Spurs are just like a well-oiled machine and the heat felt like they weren't and that that was kind of the not what anybody expected uh, going in so it was a really fun fun series 
So, uh, speaking of sacrifice with uh, Manu, uh, February 3rd, 2016, uh, Ginobili uh, suffered a testicular injury under the basket after Ryan Anderson's right uh, knee uh, nailed him in the groin, and uh, Ginobili immediately collapsed the floor and fell down again repeatedly as the trainers and Duncan were trying to assist him to the locker room. Unfortunately, uh, the, the injury required the extraction of Ginobili's right testicle. So uh, I think Danny Green said it best. Is he had to give up part of his body for this organization, which is uh, <laughs> certainly understated. Uh, later on, after he did, he did an interview with uh, WOAI in San Antonio, Ginobili was asked whether he'd ever heard the expression, I'd give my left, and then he said, well, I gave my right one. Uh, I gave it all. Uh, I gave my right one for the Spurs. I could say it. I can really say it. It's true. So, <laughs> so. Uh, he had a sense of humor about it. But, yes, that was certainly he uh, gave more than I think anyone would be, uh, almost anyone else would be willing to give for their team. Yeah, for the Spurs organization. Yeah, you can never say yes. he's not a man of sacrifice because he uh, – No, uh, yeah. He Absolutely did. is, yes. <laughs> May, uh, May 9, 2017, uh, Manu blocks James Harden from behind to seal a Game 5 win versus the Rockets. Uh, Manu had also hit a game-tying layup with 30 seconds left. So just in perfect Manu form, he he does a you know amazing defensive play, hits a layup. I mean, just, yeah, a guy who, who always felt like he stepped up in the big moments and was always there. Even if there was times in regular season games where he wasn't as effective or, or didn't do it, it always felt like playoff time. Ginobili was going to be there at the right time and always get these just plays that you just probably never expect from him that at, at just always the perfect times. It's kind of the man who experienced it i'll always remember yeah exactly so yeah in, in terms of you know performing the playoffs i know this one was interesting only two players have more than 800 rebounds 800 assists and 300 three-pointers in their playoff careers and that is lebron james and manager nobody so it's a fun company there um and uh and there isn't necessarily a specific moment but this is and it wasn't quite good enough to make the list of you know his greatest games but uh in Game 7 in 2005, um, against the Pistons in the NBA Finals, uh, Ginobili had 23-5-4 and four on 76 true shooting and was plus 5, which is the best plus-minus of the Spurs starters in that series. And, and he performed well enough where, you know, Duncan was probably the MVP, but definitely Manu had a case uh, where it was definitely a possibility that he could have been that as well. But really, you know, stepped up in that series in a, a big way. And if you look at his playoff stats, uh, you have 14 points per game and 58 point. Uh, 58 true shooting, four rebounds, three point assists, 1.3 steals. Uh, those are all either in line or slightly better than his career averages. And uh, he had 20.8 win shares, which is 20th of all time, and 11.0 um, uh, value over placement, which is 16th all time. Of course, only going back to 74. But you know that's a, uh, you know he has had some incredible playoff value in his career. Obviously, some of that is from longevity of you know playing in so many great playoff series. But that you know could hardly count against him, given you know the fact that his teams you know went deep in the playoffs you know pretty much every year. So that's uh, you know that's saying something right there. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. It, he's a guy that that you know we said yeah, it's just always great playoff performer, always great big moment performer. And yeah, a guy who you know <laughs> jokingly gave you know everything for the organization, or gave you know half of everything for the organization. But no, like like really a guy who the self sacrifice of a manager nobly will will I think be his calling card and be the testament when we, when we all talk about his career and 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 what we are talking about his career right now and eventually when he you know makes it to the Hall of Fame and whatnot and and all sorts of stuff will be about the sacrifices that he likely made. And and I don't know how he would have been when he start if he started his entire career. I I 
I, you know, maybe I, maybe a little bit better, but I think it's a little bit. I, I think for him, his legacy might be helped in some way, at least for us, you know, the way we sort of identify him, you know, the people that are hardcore basketball fans, how we identify him, I think maybe has helped by the fact that he was different. You know, he was able to come off the bench. He was able to do things a little bit different. He was, as we said, creative and stuff. Like, had he had just been a productive player that gotten a bunch of points and, and had some gaudy stats, like, yeah, he joins a list of so many of those guys that, that, that do that, but it's that he was so different and unique and, and creative and, and just kind of broke the mold in a lot of ways for guys and really is, as we said, probably the best six man of all time and, 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 and one of the most creative, fun players that I ever watched in my entire lifetime. So I'm definitely going to miss him uh, on the court every day. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and right, like I said, you know, guys basically in, the, in that in that class with like Havlicek and, you know, the handful of guys who were the greatest six men of all time and he probably had that role for longer than uh, most of those guys, uh, most of those guys did. But, yeah, just – yeah, like I said, just such a clever, creative, crafty player. Just so much fun to watch, and you just just his you know threading the needle passes, and you know his 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 dribble moves to get to the basket, and all that great stuff. It was a lot of fun. So definitely we missed, and definitely one of the great players in uh, in NBA and overall basketball history. So. So thanks everyone for uh, checking us out. You can find us at stepback at fansided.com and you can also uh, find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, wherever you uh, listen to your podcast. We are there. We always uh, appreciate a, a rating and review. It helps other people find the show and helps, you know, most importantly, it helps feed our egos. So we have very massive egos that need constantly fed. So if you could give us a rating and review on uh, iTunes, we'd greatly appreciate it. And, um, also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA on both platforms. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon.